actually two separate scriptures. So open up your Bibles and turn to Romans 3, 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And our next scripture reading is from Micah chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The voice of the Lord cries out to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear the rod of him and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I quit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? You rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Hey, King's Cross family, Oscar Navarro here. Uh, we are recording, doing this sermon from my grandma's living room. So shout out to my grandma on letting us borrow her space. Uh, I've even got her, my Nana, my favorite people call me Nana. My favorite people call me Nana right there. Cool thing about Nana is that everyone's welcome to call her Nana. Um, we are continuing our series through the attributes of God. Chris has done such an amazing job. I've been so blessed to be reminded of how glorious God is, uh, and hopefully we can continue doing that this morning. Um, I was debating back and forth. Uh, first, I, I really wanted to do a sermon on uh, jealous God because I, I think um, I think it's a wonderful thing that God is jealous for us. Um, but given the state of our country, the conversations that have been happening over the last two weeks, um, it just seemed right to me uh, to do it on um, God's justness, God being a just God. And I mean, you know, we we all have social media. Some of us still have news channels. Um, we we have been reminded that our country still struggles with people who are racist, um, and we've been reminded of what how ugly tribalism can look like. Uh, man, there's there's just an endless supply of videos and stories of racism towards our brothers and sisters in the black community. Um, 
And then also you, you watch and like while some people are trying to peacefully protest, others are violent, violently protesting as though endangering another human life is some act of justice, right? Um, spitting on people and um, sending others to the hospital, police officers to the hospital. Um, and the reality is, the reality is, is that anything we do that does not recognize the Imago Day image-bearing qualities in another fellow human being is a form of injustice, whether it is racism or um, or, or de- any sort of devaluing human life and human dignity is a form of injustice. Um, and so I think hope that we can remember how good and glorious God is and the promises that he makes and the calling that he gives each and every one of us. Mankind, uh, we've been reminded that mankind left to his own devices cannot create for himself a just society. I mean, we've been trying to do that since Babel. Uh, The story of the Tower of Babel is exactly that. It's mankind trying to create a utopia, trying to reach the heavens without God. And since Babel, we've tried to create societies, uh, you know, whether it's Russia and their communism uh, and socialism, whether it's Nazi Germany and here in America, anytime we try to pursue creating utopia without God, we are going to fail in doing that. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mispronounce his name. Yakish Martian, Martian, something French like that. I don't know how to say it. Um, but my, my friend Thaddeus pointed this out to me. He, he, this man is, uh, was a part of the council that wrote the Declaration of Human Rights. Now, keep in mind, he is standing at the end of World War II, looking back at all of the atrocities that has happened, and they have determined it's not a no-brainer that people are going to be treating each other fairly, and so we have to write a Declaration of Human Rights, and this is what he says. We want to have faith in man, but we cannot. The present world of man has been for us a revelation of evil. It has shattered our confidence. Our vision of man has been covered over by the unforgettable image of the bloody ghosts in extermination camps. You see, if we are going to have hope for a just world, it's not going to be in ourselves but in the God of Christianity. Now, I fully realize that when I say that we can only find hope for justice in the God of Christianity, if someone is questioning their faith, if someone is watching this now, exploring Christianity with a lot of questions, one of those questions might pop into your head like, well, okay, but aren't Christians, aren't people who... Haven't people used the Bible to defend their acts of an injustice? And sadly, yes, that has happened. But any time that has happened, it is not a derivative of the scriptures, but a distortion of the scriptures. And as a matter of fact, it is only in 
the God of scriptures, Jesus is God and Jesus God himself, where we find the idea of human rights and equality. Remember that that was outside of the Bible. That is a foreign concept to mankind. Like before the first chapters of Genesis in which it declares all of human made in God's image. And then also it continues in the New Testament as, you know, Jesus gets up and talks about his sermon on the Mount uh, and how we should treat one another. Like before that, there was bloodlines, which was the idea that you are wealthy or powerful because it was a part of your blood, your DNA. You couldn't help being poor or wealthy. There was karma, which is basically like you get what you deserve. If you are poor and oppressed, it's because you deserve to be poor and oppressed. And then there's Darwinian evolution, uh, but the social Darwinian evolution of, of, of the idea of that, like survival of the fittest, man. Like if you are weak, um, if you are stronger than your neighbor, then you should be stronger and overpower your neighbor. It's not until, uh, the God of the Bible, the Christian God comes onto the scene. He's always been on the scene, but it's not until we read in the scriptures about equality and justice for all that we get those concepts in our, in those ideas. So have people use the Bible to justify injustice? Yes, they have. And I'm uh, so sorry for all the times that has happened and sadly will happen again. But it is not a derivative of the scriptures. It is a distortion of the scriptures. Look at what Jeremiah 9.24 says. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. My hope, I have friends who are, um, who are police officers and police officers' wives who are um, up, afraid, and crying at night right now, concerned um, that, that you know, their, their husband's going to come home. Um, and I have friends who are um, in the black community who have experienced a lifetime of, of um, racial, racial injustices. Um, and I'm not comparing one experience to another. I'm just giving reasons why we are talking about justice. And um, my hope this morning is that all of us Every single one of us would find hope in a God who delights in justice, who also give us the power to live out just lives. Um, And I fully realize that I'm I'm not a good enough preacher to do this on my own. And so I, I want us, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to help us find hope in God's promises and who he is. So let's pray and do that now. Heavenly Father, uh, I can't do this on my own, Lord. Um, man, we we need you, Lord. And so um, may the Holy Spirit empower me, um, but, but also may the Holy Spirit speak to each and every one of us, convicting where conviction needs to have happened and um, providing rest and hope um, and wholeness in those areas where we've been hurt, where we um, have been scared. God, um, you are our one and only hope in life and death. God, um, take over now. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to start in Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 23 to 26. And our first point really is, is that God is both just and justifier. And I want us to explore what that means. So here's what Romans 3 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness as at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a lot. Uh, We're going to try to unpack that real quick before we move into Micah. And the first thing I want to say is it it is important. We've been learning and listening about how and reminded on how God is all powerful and that he is all good. He does no wrong and he is sovereignly in control. And that's good news. And the thing about God being a just God is also that he does not leave us to our own devices. God promised in his justness, he is promising to us that no evil, nothing unjust will ever go unpunished. He will make all things right. All things that have been made wrong will then be made right. He is essentially drawing creation back to his righteous perfection. He is the judge over every single one of us. And that is, this is good news for victims of injustice. And it is bad news for sinners. For those who have ever experienced racism, for anybody who's ever um, been hurt by an abusive leader, For anybody who has ever been mocked or ridiculed or falsely judged or accused, um, for anybody whose life has ever been threatened, the the promise is that God, um, God is with you. And for anybody who ever thinks like, you know, when that kind of thing happens and those people get away with it, like we don't ever have to stop and just go, oh man, like they're getting away scot-free and now I have to bear the burden of that sin. No, like the promise of God being a just God is that no one gets away with anything. And the promise of a just God, so we think about that often, like that's easy for us, I think, to comprehend. God is going to go and he's going to judge the sinner. And that is true. But it's also important to remember that God being a just God is also him making recompense, him healing and making uh, us whole who have been sinned against, right? He, he has, uh, it's a restitution, a restoration. So here in the United States, if you do something wrong, we have what's called a victim restitution fund. Think back at like the Bertie Madoff situation. Remember when he made off with all that money? <laughs> Dad jokes. Anyway, I don't know why I did that. Uh, This is going to be on the internet forever. Okay. Uh, Bernie Madoff uh, got away with all of that money. And when they finally caught up to him, they threw him in prison. They found him guilty. They gathered all of his belongings and sold it. And they put it into what was called a victim restitution fund. And the goal was to pay back all that was stolen. And unfortunately, in our world, in our society, the victim restitution fund is not always enough. Like, I think they were only able to recuperate about 60% of the money that was taken. 
from everyone, right? Uh, so so it falls short. Or even think about like any time that you uh, your dignity um, is compromised or you've been devalued by another human being, like there's no amount of money that can make up for that experience, right? But the, the promise of God is that his victim restitution fund will never fall short. He will always restore us. Um, Our value and our worth is in our inheritance in Christ. Uh, His kingdom is our kingdom. Um, He is the one who decides our value and our worth. And so therefore, it can never truly be compromised in Christ. Look at what Psalm 75 verse 7 says. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up the other. You see, you're an image bearer of God. Your pain is valued. And your pain, the promise of a a good and just God is that he's going to heal and restore. That's That's a good thing for us, for those who have ever been hurt by another person. But it's also bad news for sinners. As we read earlier, no one is righteous, not one. That's what Paul is saying. Everybody, what what Paul is saying is that everybody is guilty of injustice, right? Like every single one of us is guilty of cosmic injustice and communal injustice. Cosmic injustice is whenever we don't give God his glory, whenever we don't live and worship in light of who he is. And communal injustice is whenever we don't recognize the image-bearing qualities in one another, and ultimately, the scriptures actually point to the fact that the communal injustice is an injustice because it is, it's a cosmic injustice. Like, it's not recognizing the image-bearing, the God-likeness in each and every one of us. And so, therefore, a communal injustice is ultimately a cosmic injustice. Now, here's where I think many people have difficulty with the God of the Bible, at least people in Western cultures, because everybody wants a God who is just that, that stands up for the weak and the oppressed. But the scripture forces us to realize that every single one of us is, while we can be a victim, we are also guilty. Every single one of us. And, uh, you know, for the person who thinks to themselves, well, why can't God just forgive? Well, if he just forgave, then he would not be a just God, right? Like imagine you saved up all through your 20s for, you know, a down payment on your home. Let's say you've got 50000 in the bank and someone steals that from you and you go uh, to a judge and the judge finds that person guilty. But then they go, you know what? I'm going to be a, a really loving God today. Excuse me. I'm going to be a really loving judge today. And so we're just going to let that person go. And you're like, well, that's nice for him, but I'm still out 50 grand. Like I, I still don't have the down payment for my home. The thing is like I, I'm, I'm really 
referring to sin as like this transactional financial thing is helpful sometimes, but not always. In this situation, I think it's helpful. The realization here is that God is just. Uh, In order for him to be just, he needs to rebalance. He needs to line everything back up to to be good, right, and beautiful for everybody. And so uh, if there's a debt to be paid, it must be paid. Now, this is where um, we find the answer to everything we want, everything we long for in this world on the cross. Because ultimately, everything we're longing for, like we are both forgiven of our trespasses on the cross, forgiven of our sins, our debt is wiped clean, but also for those things that have been taken for us, it is made whole, we are restored. And so on the cross, we see both God's grace, but also his just wrath in making recompense. And of course, all of that imbalance, all of that debt, you have to imagine all of that sin, cosmic debt is being placed on Jesus on our behalf so that every single one of us Uh, will receive forgiveness um, on the cross. And then in his resurrection, every single one of us are made whole in his, in his new, in our new life through his new life. This, uh, this truth of the gospel of the cross should bring us rest rest for our weary souls. And so when we fight for justice, when we have conversations about justice and kindness and mercy, when we really understand the cross, when we are acting in light of of God's grace towards us, then we don't respond with defensiveness or with unnecessary criticism. See, people who I think, when, when we respond with defensiveness and criticism and tribalism. I think it's because deep down we're feeling judged um, versus being un- understanding our forgiveness. When we find rest in, f- in, in the fact that God has forgiven us, then we can find rest in the ability to forgive others. So it stops us. In other words, the cross stops us from falling back on... Um, defensive posturing, getting caught up in tribalism, the us versus them, me against you, right? Like if God is for us, then who could be against us? See how it prevents us from uh, responding, w- responding with more injustice? This is why I want to start with Romans because any conversation about justice needs to start with the cross, We need to have an answer for the things that we've done um, and for the things that have been committed against us, the sins that we have committed against others and the sins that have been committed against us. Um, And Jesus is that answer. He he covers us all. I'm going to read Romans 3 again, and I want you to take into consideration as I read it what was just said. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood 
to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. But on the cross, of course, he takes care of it. It says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier for the one who has faith in Jesus. Christians, find hope and rest and peace that God is both just and justifier. Just in that he will he will heal. Justifier in that he is forgiving you. He is healing you and he is forgiving you. Now, um, how, how do we pursue justice as saved sinners? And that question is is sort of at the heart of Micah chapter six. You rem- like to remind you, Micah is realizing that Israel has fallen into injustice and corruption everywhere. And Micah calls them out on their sins in verses 10 through 12. This is what it says. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measures that is accursed. Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? You rich men are all full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. You see, here's what's going on in Israel. Like one, Israel at this point, um, prioritizes household over individual. See, in America, we have individual wealth, um, in kind of household wealth, but ultimately in in Israel at that time, like you did not succeed unless your house was successful. And so Israel's fallen into the state of like household versus household. And what they're doing, what he's talking about here is in the marketplace, people are like weighing their side of the scales heavier than the other so that everything or lighter than the other so that everything is off and imbalanced, right? Like basically everybody is looking out for their own household or their own tribe. And it's, it's a dog eat dog, social dark. Darwinian uh, culture at that time. And and God and Micah are fed up with it. They they like, and what's funny is like they've got the promised land. They were supposed to seek out justice, and yet it's become completely off balance. It's become all wonky. And the word justice in, in scriptures ultimately refers to like this straight line. Like everything is uh in its proper order. And so when there's moments of injustice, like tipping the scales, uh, then things get bent and all whack and out of shape. And just real quickly here, like I want to point out that we just don't know how to pursue justice. Um, we don't know on our own what that actually looks like. And so real quick, I just want to talk about something that Michael Sandel, who's a Harvard professor, points out, uh, and then we're going to jump right back into the scriptures. And the reason why I'm doing this is because in order for us to to grasp God's view of a just society, we must leave behind our Western American preconceived notions. Uh, and we all have them. Um, some more, more aligned with scripture than the other. So Michael Sandel points out that ultimately there are three priorities in justice in America. Uh, the three are maximizing welfare, which is maybe more of a liberal socialist view, which is prioritizing the greatest good uh, and reducing harm. And 
he points out uh, that the challenge with this is that they don't go uh, far enough in defining what greatest good is or what harm is. Uh, the second one is respecting freedom which is the libertarian view, which is, you know, that the pursuit of justice is equal, equal liberty for all. Um, and then promoting virtue is like behavior in honor, um, which is more of a conservative view. Now, Timothy Keller points out, uh, in his book, um, what is his book's name? Let me look it up real quick. It is uh, Generous Justice. That's what it's called. Uh, he, he points out in his book, Generous Justice, that, there are Christians in all three of those camps that assume that the Bible prioritizes their view of justice over the rest. But as you read the scriptures, um, as usual, God and his calling in our lives does not fit pretty in any one of our modernized boxes. And as a matter of fact, as we read the scriptures, there's elements of all three of those views that are found true in the Bible. And there's elements that maybe are rejected as well. The point is here is we simply don't know how to pursue justice. Even think about the term social justice really quickly. Like that term is broad and confusing at times. I mean, like, think about like Joaquin Phoenix for his Oscar acceptance speech, where he basically pointed out that it is a social injustice to drink milk and eat meat from cows. Or, uh, you know, Thaddeus pointed out to me that one of the leaders of the Ku Klux Klan on his personal website talks about his fight for social justice. In other words, the same phrase that we want to use to talk about racism, others are using talking about drinking milk. It's confusing. Um, now, I mentioned that, that justice is this straight line and that it's been bent and whacked out of shape. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., um, believed that God, in spite of all of that chaos, in spite of our uncertainty on what justice actually looks like, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had hope in God being at work. And here's what he says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And that's promising. Yeah, I, I used to work at Best Buy. I was like 16 years old. I got a winter job there to make some money. And uh, it was awful. I hated it. Um, at the end of the night, we had to like line all the boxes up basically and make them look pretty on the shelves, right? And so like you start out on the first one and you line up the corner of the box to the corner of the shelf uh, and then you get it like perfectly aligned. Then you take the second one and align it according to the first one, the third to the second, the fourth to the third, all the way down the line. And if you ever worked retail or volunteered at a library, you know what happens. You get to the end of the shelf and you think you're done. You look back and it's like all snaked and wacky right? Because somewhere on the line, down the line, one of those boxes went off. And now you don't have a straight line. It's all over the place. What Martin Luther King Jr. believed and what God is saying in the scriptures is that he is, he is bringing everything back into alignment. And that's something that we can hope in. So Israel's response to Micah calling them out uh, is to take matters into their own hands, ultimately. This is their response. With what shall I come before the Lord 
and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? That's Micah verses six and seven. Like one, Israel is being incredibly dramatic here. They're, uh, they're just being ridiculous, but also they're offering up their religious piety. They're basically like, okay, my bad. We've tipped the scales in our favor. We are practicing injustice in the marketplace. Um, what do you want from us, God? You want us to memorize more scripture? We'll do that. You want us to volunteer on the setup and teardown team? You got it, pal. You want us to uh, not be late to Sunday service? Okay, we'll do that too. Like they're basically trying to offer religiosity as their sacrifice. And Micah is like, no, 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 no. Micah 6 verse 8 says this, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, there's at least three ways that we can do justice uh, mercy and walk humbly before our God. The first one is to seek out justice. Here's the thing. This is this was confessionally a surprise to me as I was studying the scriptures this week. Uh, you see, I've always thought of like the Good Samaritan as this story of like this guy's just cruising along and he happens to see somebody in need and so he helps him out. And that's Honestly, that's kind of the way I, I I live my life most of the time, confessionally. Like I'm I'm gonna do no harm to anybody. And if someone happens to get on my radar that needs help and I can help them without bothering me very much, without much sacrifice, then okay, I'll do that. But the scriptures call us to seek out justice, to go out and look for injustices. And look at what Jeremiah 23 3 verse 5 says. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. That along with many other scriptures lists what theologians call the quintet of the vulnerable, which is the immigrant, the fatherless, the widow, and the poor. And all through the scriptures, what it tells us as Christians to do is to go out and look for the vulnerable, the weak, and to do something about their vulnerability. What does it ask us to do? Number two is to make their problem our problem. I, all through the scriptures, this is what it sounds like. It's not just like helping out in a way that doesn't really bother you. That's not a big sacrifice. It, it talks about bearing each other's burdens, loosening the chains, mourning with those who mourn. See, the point is, is in, in the same way that God made our problem his problem on the cross by uh, he who knew no sin became sin. In that same, in the light of that, he is calling us to make those who uh, the the quintet of the the quintet of the vulnerable. He's calling us to make their problems our problems, to take them upon ourselves. That's that's convicting. 
um, for me. I mean, I just, I just don't do that. Like, if you're in my way and you and you have problems, like I'm gonna help you. Um, but but probably not at the sacrifice of my own comfort. Often, um, and I don't know. Maybe maybe that's me. Maybe you guys are killing it there, and I can't see your faces. So maybe I'm the only one that's you know being convicted here. The third thing that the scriptures ask us to do is to be generous. Um, look at what Leviticus 19 uh, verse 9 and 10 says. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and alien. I am the Lord your God. That is, again, like, this I need to hear this because for me, um, I'm I'm happy being a tipper, right? Like I'm happy giving a small percentage at the end of my meal to God. Uh, but what this the paint the picture this is painting is like you you take what you need and you give the rest away to those that are in need. And keep in mind, Israel is incredibly efficient at farming their land, just like we are today. Like we have monetized everything. Farmers can pick it, pick their fruit uh, at the right time and in the right way so that they can harvest the most amount of money. And the scriptures are, are, are telling us like, or at least Jeremiah is saying, man, don't worry about that. Take what you need and let let others have the rest. And I think this is hard for uh, us to hear in Western American Christianity, uh, Western America in general, not just Christianity, because we we have an ownership perspective rather than a stewardship perspective. See, an ownership perspective, and I have this, this is this is how I, this is my default way of living, is like, hey, I worked hard. Um, I was responsible with my time and my money, and so therefore I deserve what I have. But stewardship perspective um, recognizes that that we have we would have nothing if not for the grace of God and all that we do have is his to begin with like sure we work hard and we can be responsible um but God I did not choose to be born into a society of abundant wealth I did not give myself the brain to um to recall information and put it to monetary value or use um I did not give myself a a healthy body so that I can go out into the workplace and work. Uh, And as my wife would say, um, God gave me my good looks. No, she's never said that before. But the point is here is like, if we see ourselves as stewards of God's grace in all aspects of our lives, in our time, our talent, in our treasure, then um, we become less of a hoarder and more of a generous giver. One other thing um, before we move on to our last point, something that struck me that I wanted to to mention to you guys. It's it's this thing that happened in the Old Testament. Pause for dramatic effect. I was not on purpose. Okay, so when the Israelites got to the Promised Land, God, there was twelve tribes. That's ten. There was twelve twi- tribes, and the Lord. Uh, divided up the the farmland into 11 of the tribes. The 12th tribe was the Levites, and they didn't get farmland to harvest uh, 
what they did was they got responsibility over the temple. Basically, they were um, they were the pastors of the land, and what the social contract that God set up between the the eleven tribes and the Levite tribe was essentially like pastors, you um, you take care of the temple, you pastor us um, and lead us in that area of life. And, and you do not have to worry about food or clothing or housing. We got you. We will farm the land and we will make sure that you are taken care of, that you don't have to worry or be distracted by those things. You pastor. And um, I, I wonder, uh, I wonder if we have that posture towards our pastor, um, Chris, Alyssa, and the kids. Um, you know, the other day, not the other day, a few months ago, we were uh, hanging out with them. And in passing, Alyssa mentioned that that giving had gone down in the church and that they, uh, you know, one of them was at the grocery store texting the other one. And they were like checking the bank account. Um, and there wasn't a lot of money in there. And they were like, searching the grocery store, trying to figure out what groceries they could afford that would hold them over into the next Friday. Um, and I realized that we are a young, small church um, and that we are not self-sustainable. Uh, and by God's grace, we have outside funds that come in and help us. But um, I wonder I wonder what it would look like if the uh, the families of King's Cross Church had that posture towards Chris and Alyssa, where it was like, hey, you guys, like, shepherd the flock, um, pastor the church, um, lead us um, in that area, and and we got you. Like, little cute Pabletti kids, you keep doing your awesome announcements. Um, you guys don't have to worry about food or housing or anything of that nature. Don't be distracted by those things. Um, maybe you already have that posture. Uh, as, as I was reading the scriptures, I, you know, I was again convicted that I, I don't always think that way towards my brother, my own brother in Christ. Okay. Let's close out. Um, final point real quick, about five minutes and we're done. Um, and it's, the point is guilt versus glory acting out in guilt versus acting out in glory. Um, Micah, Micah reminds the Israelites why they should seek out justice uh, and be generous in, in verse 4. And he says, this is God saying, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. If we try to act justly or generously out of guilt, it will never work. If we act out of guilt, ultimately guilt is still self-serving. It's still ultimately about me and my reputation or my conscience. Uh, and what that does is it means I will only go so far until I don't feel guilty and then I'll be good. Um, and it's exhausting. It's tiring. It's not sustainable. We cannot seek out justice out of guilt. If we're going to be um, merciful, justice, and loving, and kind, we have to do it in light of God's glory, right? The, the cross, what we talked about earlier in God's forgiveness towards us, the, the cross is um, the most generous justice that we could ever understand or experience for ourselves. We were poor. We were in debt. 
we were fatherless and Jesus, we were aliens, immigrants in God's kingdom, but Jesus um, removed himself from his throne in his place of comfort, stepped into humanity, literally into poverty to seek after us. He, um, as Timothy Keller points out, he rode into town on a borrowed donkey. He ate his last meal in a borrowed room. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus was poor. You see, the gospel opens our eyes to the generous justice of God. And we realize that we share in his riches. We are inheritance to his kingdom. And so we can share those riches, our riches, with other people. God's promise that he will make all things right gives us rest for our weary souls, prevents us from acting and responding in tribalism or hatred or anger. We've been forgiven and made whole, and so we can forgive others. He is our, uh, he is our God who is just and the justifier, and we can respond not out of guilt, but out of glory. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.